0: church, good morning. Good morning, church. Everybody needs to wake up today. It's great to see all of you here today. It's great to be part of worship with you here at But Today I want to take an opportunity uh, to just welcome a guest. You hear me say all the time that uh, so much of what is being done here, we're standing on shoulders. And many of you may not recognize the folks that are with us today because a lot of growth has happened in this church and a lot of you have been joining in the last uh, several, you know, 10 years plus and, uh, but David Edgel and his wife, Sulea, their daughter Shelby has been part of Hepsibah again for probably the last year. But David, uh, he's one of these gentlemen that, that while you may not always hear the name or know the name, so much of what has happened here at Hepsibah, so much that has occurred in discipleship, so much that has happened in missions development has been because of the work that he put into this church for 15 years. It is unusual to see folks give so much of their life to one church, to one place, but David is one of those faithful men, and I got to cut my teeth in ministry alongside him. He's not quite old enough to be my dad, uh, but he is old enough to be my older brother, and uh, I cannot tell you how much I learned from sitting under his leadership, uh, from serving alongside him. So David and Celia, I know I saw y'all walk in somewhere. Where are you? Will y'all stand? Let's welcome back David and Celia Edgel. So i tell you, folks, a lot of who we are today has a lot to do with those two folks. So we are grateful to have you home, David. I hope this feels like home for you today, for you and Sleeve both. And Shelby, we know it's home for you, sweetheart. We love you. And uh, so Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. And as we break into Romans chapter 8, I want you to know that this is really just a place where the Apostle Paul gets to worship. He is inviting us today to worship with him concerning the blessings that we have because we are Christ, because we are unified with him, because we've been justified, because we've been saved, he wants us to know that we've been set free and there are blessings that apply to us because of this great salvation that we have. Romans chapter 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible I would say that many people uh, would declare that they believe it to be the greatest chapter in scripture and uh, John Piper I think said it well he said the greatest book in the world is the Bible and the greatest book in the Bible is the book of Romans and the greatest chapter in the book of Romans is chapter eight and he would say that the greatest verse in Romans chapter eight is verse one Let me read that to you because you're going to get a feel for where we're going today. It says, therefore, there is, listen to this church, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this was the verse that really led the Apostle Paul into worship as he considered the blessing of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ I don't know if you've ever given a gift that's blown the other person away before. Have, have you ever given a gift that, that literally left the person kind of mouth open? just They can't believe what's just been offered to them. I remember watching the movie. In fact, David, I think you were with me. I think this was one of the senior adult trips that you did. Uh, we went to the movie one time. remember we went and saw Tip of the, uh, Tip of the Spear, I think was the title of it. It was about Jim Elliott. If you remember, he was one of the missionaries killed as he went to go uh, uh, evangelize those folks in South America. And literally, as the story was told and and they went through the movie, what you found was that he gave his life to reach these folks. And his family, after he was murdered by this tribal group, they didn't give up uh, uh, trying to evangelize this group. They continued to reach out to these Indian people and these cannibal, And listen, these were, these were warrior people. These were people that literally, just at the side of that plane, just when they landed, as they began to speak, they attacked, they killed Elizabeth Elliot's husband, along with the other pilot of the plane. And they kept ministering. His children, along with his wife, kept sharing the gospel. And eventually, the leader of that tribe, the very man who killed her husband, came to Christ. And as the movie played out, as she built this relationship with this man, literally, who killed her husband, there's a part in the movie, it's at the very end. I love the movies that are real-life movies. At the end, they kind of show you present day, and they take the people that played the part in the movie, and now they start to show you the real-life person. One of the things at the end of that movie always stuck out to me, and it was when she took this Indian man this tribal man who had never stepped foot in America, never stepped outside of the jungle in which he was raised, when he was finally brought to America, they had a video of him walking into a grocery store for the first time. If you could imagine for a moment what it would have been like for him, a man who basically lived every day of his life just trying to, exist on anything that he could find to eat, whether he had to hunt animals, whether he had to find some, some fruit off of some trees or some vines, whether or not he had to figure out how to even eat insects. I mean, these folks lived literally off the land, day by day, trying to find what they need to get by just for another day. Could you imagine walking into a grocery store? You could see it all over his face, and his face just screamed, is all of this for me? Is all of this for us? That's what I want you to feel when you look at Romans chapter 8. I want you to be overwhelmed with the grace of God. I want you to be overwhelmed with the blessing of God. I want you to be overwhelmed with what it means when the Bible says that we have been set free because that's what we're going to look at today. What it means to be set free because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to see yourself In this story, I want you to be amazed that God would offer to you and to me such life. Because what we're going to read about today, it is for us. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, in in chapter 8 of Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for the mind set on the flesh is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward god for it does not subject itself to the law of god for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh they cannot please god however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god dwells in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ He does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. This morning, what does it mean to be set free? What does it mean to be set free from death? What does it mean to be set free from the flesh? What does it mean to be set free from this world? Remember the last few weeks we have been saying that we have been set free. And so number one this morning, I want you to see that we can be set free. Why? Because we are delivered and no longer are we condemned. Let that sink in a second. We have been delivered. If you go back into chapter 7, just back up a little bit, and remember what he said in 24. He said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And look at the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there is a reality that we have been delivered. And so the Word of God says we no longer are condemned. We must accept the truth about our freedom. When we think about condemnation, I want you to realize what it means. It means that a charge is being held against you. When you've been condemned, it means that you're guilty. It means that now you stand before a judge and you're going to get what is resulting from the choice, the decision, the sin, the breaking of the law that you made. But he says, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we no longer have to fear condemnation. Why? We have been delivered. Because we've been justified, let me tell you what it means. We no longer have to fear judgment. Believer, let me share with you something today. You don't have to fear the judgment of God. There are many of you out here today, you still live under the fear of judgment. Some of you, even as believers in Jesus Christ, you forget the simple fact of what has been told to us right here. That you don't have to fear judgment. The judgment of God, the condemnation of God. If you remember, Paul just got done talking about, he he lived the existence that we know all too well. He says, the things that I want to do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I don't do, I mean, you remember all that discussion last week? He said, man, it's like there's this part of me that wants to serve God, love God, follow God, and yet this flesh wants to rise up. And he realizes that without Jesus Christ, I'm just a wretched man. But because of Jesus Christ, he's saying that we can have new life. And I want you to realize the connection there. He's saying, even though at times I still feel like I struggle in this walk with Jesus. What difference does it make in the life of a believer that in that struggle, we remember that there's no condemnation? That in that journey of sanctification, we don't have to fear the judgment of God. There are people today in the sound of my voice that know Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried, rose again. They've surrendered their lives to him. And yet they struggle with the simple question. Can God still love me even when I struggle? And you know what the answer is? Yes. Forever, yes. Can God forgive me when even as a believer I wrestle with this sin and I struggle to follow him? The answer is absolutely yes. He wants us to know that every sin that we ever committed was paid for through Jesus Christ. You see, if we're not careful and we don't understand this concept of there's no condemnation, For those of us that are in Jesus Christ, that's what drives us. The the lack of understanding, that simple fact, is what leads us to do two things in our life. We start to pretend. And pretending, that brings nothing but anxiety and exhaustion. There are those of us that literally spend time our whole life pretending to be something that we are not. I love the way it was put. I I believe J.D. Greer was the one that I heard say this, that he said trying to pretend in the Christian life is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You're trying to push down the reality of your struggles, the reality of your fears, the reality of your weaknesses, and rather than running to Jesus, and rather than being open and honest and transparent and sincere, you live your whole life trying to hold down the truth about yourself rather than allowing Jesus Christ to do something in you as you're honest about the reality. Most of us, the biggest fear is that one day we're going to let go of that ball accidentally And it's gonna pop up and fly in the air, and everybody's gonna see what we've been trying to hold down. And, folks, God didn't call us to pretend. Some of us struggle with not just pretending, but many of us struggle with performance. We get in this mindset that God loves me more if I do more, God loves me more. If I act right, God loves me more. Listen, you know what the gospel says? The gospel basically, in its essence, simply says that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. He loves you. answer to those who are trying to perform and trying to pretend he says i want you to remember there's no condemnation for those in christ your past sins are forgiven your future sins are forgiven do you realize that for those of us on this side of the cross every sin that you ever committed he paid for in advance before you ever did the first one isn't it crazy that we struggle to realize?" That every sin is forgiven, that that Christ, because we we tend to look at ourselves in this this capacity that, you know what, he forgave me the day I was saved, but now here I am in my Christian walk and I'm struggling and we doubt whether or not God forgives or, or how God feels about us. And listen, he died for every one of your sins before any of us in this room ever drew our first breath. And the day that we were saved, they were all forgiven. That's how he can say there's no condemnation. And we have to accept the truth of our freedom. But listen, we also must grasp the reason for that freedom. This isn't so that we may sin and we may keep sinning so that grace may abound. The reason for our freedom, God didn't just wink at sin and act like it's not happening. Folks, sin costs the life of the Son of God. The reason we can be forgiven, the reason we can be set free is simply because Christ died and he was resurrected. He did what the law could not do. If you remember, we battled against the law. We tried to wage against the law, wage war, and it was a battle that we could never win. The law continued to condemn. The law continued to shine light on our failures, on our weakness, on our sin, and never could we find an acquittal. Never could we change because of the law of God. And I want you to see what this text says. In verse 3 it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God, what? It says God did. What we couldn't do, God did. What the law couldn't do, God did. The reason we stand not condemned is because of what Jesus Christ did. It says God did it, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh... And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. One pastor said it this way, and I thought it was well said. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. Let me say that again. It's just another way of saying what we've already stated. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. But he went on and this is what he said. He loves you to the degree that you are simply in Christ. And that is always 100%. Folks, when you are in Christ... That simply means that you're set free from the performance and the pretending because of the cross. There's nothing to impede or endanger God's love and acceptance of you. It's what makes us sing. It's what makes us worship. Do you remember the old hymn? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is what? It's nailed to the cross. And I what? I bear it no more. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I got goosebumps. Can you live in that reality that what Christ did is enough. We must also recognize the result of our freedom. We have to accept the truth that there's no condemnation Grasp the reason for God being able to say that we're not guilty because of the death and resurrection of Christ, but we also have to recognize the result, what comes about because of this freedom in Christ. I love what he says in verse 4, "...so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit, the Spirit of God begins a work in us that the flesh could never do, that the flesh could never accomplish. The Spirit begins to do in us. He sanctifies us. The result of our freedom is that we will be sanctified. Let me tell you what that means, Christian. That the Spirit of God is now enabling you to live an obedient Christian life. You see, this freedom that Christ gave us doesn't leave us in our sin, but He empowered us. He filled us with His Spirit. Now, as we yield control to Him, He helps us and gives us all that we need for life and godliness so that we might live as obedient Christians he writes the law now on our hearts so that from the very depth of our being we want to obey you see that's all I can tell you about people ask all the time well how do you change how do you change how do you change all I can say to them is I don't change myself Christ has changed me all I can tell you is that something changed and was transformed on the inside of who I am. The reality is the Spirit of God, as He came into me, gave me a new nature. And all I can say is suddenly I want to obey Him where before I didn't. I want you to see secondly that what it means to be set free means that we are alive. And we're living according to the spirit you see to say that we're alive to say that we have been delivered and we've been raised to life. We've gone from death to life is what the scripture tells us. And literally what that means that is that if the gospel is true, it changes the way that we see our life. And what the scripture is going to tell us is that we've got to turn something. Something has to change in our hearts and in our minds. And, and let me read you what it says in verse 5. It says, for those who are according to the flesh, what do they set their minds on? It says, the things of the flesh. But those that are of the Spirit, it says that they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I want you to know that it runs deeper. It goes deeper than just you recognizing that the Spirit of God is in you or that we have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God isn't just this impersonal force that helps us out. It is the third, He is the third person. Of the Trinity, and literally, we live in this close walk in relationship with God through the Spirit of Christ. Literally, when we say that we have the Spirit of Christ, He wants us not only to have the Spirit within us, but He wants us to live lives where the Spirit of God is filling us. And by filling us, I mean that he wants us to live Christian lives where we are under the control of God. It's what we mean when we say that we must surrender, that we must die so that Christ might live through us. You see, the Bible says that we are alive and that we live according to the Spirit. That means that when we consider and set our minds on the things of the Spirit or set our minds on the things of the flesh... He's saying that as believers, our thinking, our loving, our seeking should be the same as that of the Spirit. When we consider what we love are the things that we love, the things that God loves. I want you, let, me, let me put it in practical terms for you. When we say, have you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, do you ever get caught up in the glory of God? Because that's what the Spirit is all about in us, is that He is constantly revealing Christ to us in all of His glory, and all of His majesty, and the Spirit of God, when He has His way in us, we find ourselves worshiping because our minds begin to be set on the things of the Spirit, magnifying Christ, glorifying Christ. Listen, we can't say that the Spirit of God is ruling and reigning in our lives and not end up at the place of worship. Do you seek the things that God seeks? To set your mind on the things of the Spirit, let me ask you a question. Do you see people the way God sees people? Do you go through this world full of compassion, mercy, Grace, patience. When you see a person, do you realize the only difference that matters is whether they're lost or whether they're saved? find yourself pondering on God's glory? Do you find yourself hungry for truth? Do you find yourself overwhelmed with beauty? Do you find yourself concerned about justice? Do you find yourself seeking righteousness? Do you have a love for his church? Do you have a love for people? Because those are the things of the Spirit that should be evident in our life. And you know that the flesh is completely opposite. The things of the flesh that we set our minds on, those are the things that are full of self. They oppose and they resist God. Those parts of our life that rather than seeking righteousness, we seek out sin. We don't want to glory in the Father. We'd rather glory in ourselves. We don't know how to put others first because we're so consumed with self first. And he always is warning us in Galatians and places like this, you've got to examine Your own life. And you've got to be truthful and honest. And you've got to ask yourself the question. You've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my mind set on the things of the flesh? Or the spirit? I love the way Galatians 5 puts it. He says that those things are evident. The reason we don't see them is because we never slow down long enough to evaluate. We never have the courage to look honestly in the mirror and answer those questions. Is the life that I'm living one that is clearly showing that my mind is set on the things of the flesh or the spirit? If you want to know, slow down and take an honest You see, when we realize that we're alive and we're living according to the Spirit, we realize that we have a changed state. We've gone from unsaved to saved. We've been called out of darkness, out of flesh, out of rebellion, out of death, into light, into the Spirit, into obedience, and into life. We have a changed mindset. We've gone from death to life, and that changes everything. When we go from death to to life we realize that something is new. Something has changed. Something has transitioned. No one in this room. If you ever saw someone go from being absolutely dead. To absolutely alive. Could you imagine being there at Lazarus' tomb? You would have been overwhelmed in that moment. When you saw someone go from death to life. It would rock your world. It would change everything. And folks the Bible says literally. Literally. That when Christ found us, we were dead in transgressions and sins, but now he has made us alive in Christ. Don't you think that means there's some change coming? We have a changed attitude. We go from opposed to empowered, and what I mean is that in our heart we stop rebelling and we start believing. There's no more animosity, no more opposition, no more disinterest in the things of God. Now I want you to hear that list again. Because again, I think you can use that list to to look at your own spiritual life and be honest about whether or not your mind is set on the things of the Spirit because I, I want you to see it, I want you to hear it again. There's no more animosity to the things of God. There's no more opposition to the things of God. You say, well, when do we oppose God? Listen, when God speaks to you about sexual purity, are you opposing him or are you surrendering to him? when he speaks about what it means to be equally yoked? Are you opposing him saying that you know better and that you have a better way and your way makes more sense? Are you determined to do the very thing that God says you shouldn't be doing and you're pursuing relationships where Christ isn't the center and you're yoking yourself to people that are going a completely different direction? than the way God would have you go? Are you in opposition to the Lord when he says that we should be generous givers? And even though we understand first fruits and even though we understand tithing, do we oppose God and come up with every reason why we can't do what he's asked us to do? Folks, you have to ask yourself the question. Are we in opposition to what God would have us to do? Are we disinterested in the things of God? When I say Bible study, do you roll your eyes and think that's boring? When I say missions, do you say, well, that's for someone other than me. That's just not my thing. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that. You don't realize that you're disinterested in the only thing that God is interested in. Are you so caught up in the world that you don't sense a desire to be about what God is doing, Folks, when we come to Christ, there is a change in the attitude of our heart. And we also have a changed conduct. We go from disobedience to obedience. We seek to please Him and to grow in our love for God. And the love for the world that we have starts to wane. You see, you may not realize it yet, but you can't love God and the world. You can't follow God. God and the world, the the worst place to find yourself sitting is on a picket fence if you didn't know it. And that's where many of us choose to try to sit as believers. We sit on the fence believing we can have one foot in the world, one foot in eternity. And folks, I'm telling you, listen to me, you can't love the world and say that you love God. You have to decide. You have to come to grips with whether or not your mind is set on the things of the flesh or whether or not your mind is set on the things of the spirit because he gives us a warning here. He says that we can live in assurance because we know that we are his when the spirit fills us and we see these things begin to happen in our lives, even though at times, church, I'm not saying that we can't grieve the spirit, that we can't quench the Holy Spirit of God But I want you to know that in those moments, he disciplines us and he corrects us and he sets us back on the right path. And we begin to bear that fruit again that he desires for us to bear. But if you examine yourself today and you recognize that I'm totally in love with the world. That I live in constant resistance to the will of God, the things of God. I oppose it all the time. I have a complete disinterest for things that are eternal. I just check off the religious boxes of my life. Folks, if that is you, he's telling you today, examine yourself. Why? Because whoever doesn't have the Spirit does not have Christ. You've heard me say week in and week out through this study, there are so many that sit in this room that they are religious, yes. But they're not saved. That the person that you are on Sunday gives no reflection to who you are at every other moment of your life that you live in a constant hypocrisy. then if you were honest with yourself today, you would say that, you know what, my mind is constantly and consistently on the things of the flesh and not the spirit. Folks, if the spirit of God isn't transforming your life into fruit that lasts, he is giving us a warning. Examine yourself. As he would say in Corinthians, be sure that you are found In the faith, because number three, we are not obligated to the flesh and its desires. I love what verse 12 and 13 says. It says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh. You don't have to obey the flesh. You don't have to follow this world. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. He says that he has set us free and he says we are under no obligation ...to the flesh, that means, let me translate that, you are set free. You've been empowered to live a holy life, a life of obedience, a life that pleases God. We no longer have to obey the appetites of the flesh. The appetites of the flesh. Another way of saying those desires that are within us. Those lusts that are within us. Those things that we used to crave... Because we didn't know Christ, because we weren't transformed. We love the very things Christ says we are not to love. But once Christ came in, our hearts changed and he began to teach us to hate the things that we should hate and to love the things that we should love. Do you recognize that within you there has been a transition that sin no longer makes you happy? That sin no longer makes gives you pleasure and joy, then now the Spirit of God will not give you rest in your sin, that literally you feel that grieving, you feel that quenching of the Spirit, and you begin to sense His discipline on you, and your heart wants to obey and wants to follow Jesus Christ. Folks, we no longer have to obey the appetites of the flesh and we no longer have to live according to the customs of the flesh and of this world. Nothing has changed in the scripture. When he says that we are to be holy as he is holy, let me tell you what that will make you. It will make you different than the world around you. If the world can't tell a difference in you, let me ask you a question. Why? If I went to your workplace, would there be enough evidence that you're a believer there for me to convict you of being a Christian? Because, folks, I'm telling you. We don't have to live according to the flesh, the customs of the flesh. We don't have to live according to the customs of this world anymore. We're not conformed to this world, as Hebrews will tell us. But we have been what? We've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. Did I say Hebrews? I meant Romans. What did I say? I don't know what I said. What did I say? Sorry. (laughs) C. We no longer owe the old master anything. Think about that. Remember we said that you're no longer a slave to the flesh, a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to the righteousness, and now your king is Jesus. Amen? And we don't have to answer to the old master anymore. And folks, I want to encourage you, don't do what the Old Testament... Folks tried to do over and over and over that they tried to follow God yet constantly looked back to Egypt. Folks, this world has nothing for you. Nothing. Don't believe the lie that that it's easier to not follow Jesus. Folks, that road is leading you to death and destruction. Don't want what was. Believe that God offers you life. Eternal life, abundant life. We don't have to answer that old master. We don't owe him anything anymore. Church, don't go back to Egypt. And lastly, we're obligated to the Spirit. And we will live. That's the great promise of this text. We will live. Those who've set their minds on the things of the Spirit, those who have gone from death to life, those who no longer live according to the flesh in this world, but have surrendered their lives and been unified with Christ, they will be filled with the Spirit of God, and they will live. And folks, you know where your obligation now lies? Not to the flesh, not to the world, Not to the old you, not to the old master, but to God. And now, praise God, we can obey the appetites of the Spirit. And before you say, well, what a trade-off. We have to give up the world for the things of God. I don't know. Tell me, do you have something against love? Something against joy? Something against peace? Something against goodness? (laughs) Something against kindness? Something against gentleness? Do you have something against faithfulness and self-control? Aren't those the things that you have been searching for in the world but never found them? It's because you can only find them in Christ. And the devil's been trying to trick you into believing that those things are found anywhere and everywhere other than Christ. But I'm telling you, he is the only source of life. And now we can obey the appetites of the Spirit. And folks, I'm telling you, you lose nothing. You gain everything. We can now renounce sin and put it to death. you got to love verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you are putting to death the deeds of the body, that word mortification... To kill, you know what he says that we are to do with sin? We are to kill it. We are to treat it as what it is, the enemy. That which is causing our death, that which is causing our destruction. We treat it for what it is, something that will destroy us if we don't kill it first. If you're not killing sin, sin is killing you every single time. So he says, don't let it rain in your bodies. That's why Jesus would say, if your eye offends, what? Pluck it out. Whatever it is that's hindering you from your walk with Jesus, I want to ask you, how do you see sin today in your life? Do you see it for the threat that it is? Do you see it for the enemy that it is, that he wants to enslave you all over again? Folks, I want to encourage you today to put to death the sin in your life by knowing the Word of God. We hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we won't sin against Him. If you want to know what's right, what's holy, what's good, what is of God, what are the things of the Spirit, then you've got to know the Word of God. Take captive every thought. Resist the devil. Flee from sin, He tells us over and over and over what we must do to live holy lives. And we can now live out our new identity in Christ. We can obey the appetites of the Spirit. We can renounce sin and put it to death. And we can now live out our new identity in Christ. I love the way John Stott put it. He said, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life that is animated, a life that is sustained, a life that is directed, a life that is enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable. Indeed, it would be impossible. But folks, Christ is not calling you to something that is impossible. The God who makes all things possible is calling you to be a disciple of his and to follow him, and he, as you surrender, will sanctify you. As Kevin comes this morning, I want you to think about how desperately you need this message today. You say, well, what kind of a person would need a message like this? How about King David? A man who started so well and whose heart, according to the Lord, was a heart like God's. And yet, where did he find himself? Broken. Destroyed because of an affair. Because he murdered Bathsheba's husband. And you can imagine the guilt that he felt when the prophet walked in and said, you're that man. You know what he needed to hear? That God can save. That when we repent and we turn to God, that he can take our sins, though they be like scarlet, and he can make them white as snow. He needed to hear the words that we're hearing today. There is no condemnation. He repented and he was set free. What about the Apostle Paul? He said he was the chief of sinners. He literally tried to destroy the church of Christ. And Christ came to him on that road and said, Why are you persecuting me? Do you think of anything greater than Christ having to come and say, what are you doing? And yet, you know what Paul found that day? Forgiveness. Grace. And I imagine he was thinking of that day when he penned these words, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What about Simon Peter. His last recollection of Christ before he went to the cross was him rejecting Christ three times and cursing and the weight he must have felt as the last thing that he offered Christ was rejection, was (laughs) I don't know him. And could you imagine what he felt the first time Jesus called out to him, and he realized he's alive, and he just called my name, and as Jesus ministered to him, and he started to ask those questions, Simon Peter, do you love me? Don't you know that in that moment he realized exactly what this verse is saying? He was standing, looking at the Savior in the eyes and what Jesus was trying to say to him, Peter, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you think you're any different? Do you think you're so far gone that Jesus can't save? There is no way. If you will just yield your life to Him. I close with this. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said that what Christ wants of us, He says, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents, a certain amount of your money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you. All of you. I've not come to torment Or to frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I want, or I'm sorry, I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. All of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my life image give me yourself and in exchange I will give you myself my will shall become your will my heart shall become your heart father we just celebrate you today Lord just as Paul said these words no doubt and utter worship to you Lord we worship you today For, Lord, your words are true, and, Lord, we cling to them today. And, Lord, our hope rests in these very words that there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, we're no longer bound by the flesh, but, Lord, we've been set free by your Spirit. So, Lord, let us live as those that are free. Lord, let this church body understand what it means To set our minds on the things of the Spirit and to quit setting our minds on the things of the flesh. Lord, make real to us an understanding. Make it evident to us that we have died and you are alive. that, That, Lord, you give us a heart that wants to kill sin in us and not cling to it and not love it and not secretly hold on to it. But Lord, we would recognize that what you have for us is far greater than anything this world can offer. Lord, let us let go of that which is killing us, killing our families, killing our futures. And Lord, let us cling to your spirit that wants to bring life. So Lord Jesus, there may be one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would come and they would confess their sins to you. And Lord, we know that you died on the cross for our sins. You took our sins and you atoned for them. You covered them. And Lord, that's why you can say that we're free because the price has been paid. The law has been fulfilled. Lord Jesus, let them give you their life today to surrender to you, to follow you with their whole heart. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I don't care if they've been here 50 years, God, I pray that today they would look in that mirror and be honest with themselves and they would confess their sin and believe on you and follow you today. Lord, right where they are, you will hear their prayers for help. And God, I pray you give them the courage to make it known. And Lord, for those of us that are believers, let us take this moment to pray earnestly about what we've heard today. Lord, don't let this moment slip away. Let us use it for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.